0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by my good friend, Rich Rebar. Uh, do have done loads and loads of shows with him on this podcast, and uh, I, I really wanted to have Rich on the show because basically for the last month, it's just been me and Karain. That's mostly what you guys have got, and Karain and I, you know, we've never drafted a running back. We're, we're every second year wide receiver, regardless of, of who they play for or their production, we're all in on them. And, and I think Rich is a little bit more of a pragmatist than than myself or Pat. So I'm very excited to, uh, to chat with him because I, I feel Rich like the, whether you want to call it Zero RB, whether you want to call her at anchor RB, whatever, I, I don't, I, I think this, yeah, the monikers <laughs> are dumb. But the essential strategy of not drafting running backs who don't catch passes or who don't have backfields to themselves in the early rounds and just taking wide receivers indiscriminately, I feel as if in our little corner of the internet, this is the most accepted that strategy has ever been. Like most off se- like last off season, people were still on the Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, David Montgomery and David Montgomery ended up working out, but you know, your Kenyan Drakes, whatever. And there was, there was a real pushback between that, right? Like you shouldn't take those guys. You should take Calvin Ridley or, you know, or whatever. And I feel as if that pushback in in our little corner, right? Like this is not what like, you know, our friends Matthew Barry and our friends at CBS are dealing with like, that's a different audience, but in our little corner of the internet, I sort of feel like, That's not even controversial anymore. Like most people are kind of on board with this idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, we saw it on the, the underdog, the end of the puppy run, the, the ADP <sighs> sure really go bonkers and, and it really flipped, you know, obviously the running back dead zone has been preached uh, into existence uh, to the general it has reached the general masses and no longer yeah, those, running Gretsch, backs baby. Getting, <laughs> those running backs weren't getting reached for. And obviously if they're not, if they fall, a the position's got to rise. And of course it's only going to be wide receiver. Uh, you know, I would say that definitely we're still a step behind, I think 2016, 2017, like if you, especially, when you look at ADP, because those two years basically were a 50-50 split in the first round between running backs and wide receivers, whereas now still most, most people are saying, well, yeah, you can still take a running back, but it's got to be an elite running back. And and then wide receivers are starting to go like once those guys clear out, like after the first several picks. Um, but yeah, I don't think we'll ever get back to just that full bonanza that we saw in 2016, 2017. What's interesting, though, is that I went back and looked at those years and ADP from those years. And they allowed some of the running backs in the dead zone to kind of hit. There was a little, there was more hits in that area of the draft because they were going where they were supposed to go. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of holds and when the general public comes into these drafts this final month and are taking wide receivers. I will say though, we I think last time I was on the show, we talked about just the first round in general though, and this being kind of a a unique year in terms of just not having a lot of confidence in a lot of first round picks uh, compared to previous years. And I think that that helps the wide receiver cause as well. Like I was redoing all my ranks.
0: What are you going to take Jonathan Taylor or Steph Diggs? Like what you're saying is a hundred percent accurate. Every running back other than McCaffrey and cook and cook, you know, that shoulder thing. Right. You never really know, but like every first round running back, you, you can sell yourself on the 300 point season, but also you can be like, I don't know, this guy might be in a timeshare.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There, there's something negative to say about every player after McCaffrey, if you want to find that negative thing, because, uh, yep. I mean, I have, uh, you know, I have Devontae Adams six overall now in full PPR. Uh, and that's kind of, and I wouldn't, and I'm actually been like thinking like, you know, would I really take Derrick Henry over Devontae Adams in full PPR? That's like kind of uh, where I'm at with the firewall. Uh, trying to decide because i mean you look at Devonte adams especially with rogers coming back i mean this is a guy he's, he's got 27 touchdowns in his past 24 games played he's had nine or more targets in 21 of those games uh, 10 or more targets in 19 of those games they only add randall cobb and amari rogers to this roster uh, i mean i don't see any way that like this guy doesn't walk into another 28 to 30 percent target share he's the most touchdown uh most guy we can project for touchdowns literally a goal line at, running back at the position Uh, so, I mean, I would have no problem with someone. Like I said, I am sixth overall. And I know a lot of people have Kelsey a little bit higher. I've given the Kelsey spiel a number of times on this show. I have no problem with Kelsey. I just believe that he's not going to provide the positional
0: leverage he provided last year. Uh, but no pushback on, if you, what about, what about on, what about on FFPC? Do you feel that it's a little bit different there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's, that's where I'm at is I, 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 I am definitely underweight on Kelsey on underdog. Like I just straight up, like, I'd rather take Tyreek on underdog than Kelsey, but on on the FFPC, I go the other way where I, I think I would even consider Kelsey as high as three.
1: Yeah. I would have no problem with that, especially because three is kind of the the fulcrum point for a lot of people this year. You know, do you like Zeke? Do you like Kamara? Do you like just the safety of Henry? Do you then just go and take a wide receiver or tight end? I think this year offers a lot more nuance to approach this year. Um, uh, No one has to ramrod really one strategy. Uh, And and the thing I I saw, I heard Adam Levitan bring this up on uh, his podcast with Evan is what's cool about anchor RB this year or whatever the hell you want to moniker you want to lay out for it is you can actually go wide receiver in round one this year. And come back and get like a Gibbs, Joe Mixon in round two Gibson, or Gibson, Mixon, yeah. CH. And you can do your anchor RB that route and go yep. wide receiver, running back, then wide receiver, you know, pass catchers. Or you can come back with Kittle in the third. He's hitting the third a lot more uh, these days. You can wait a couple rounds, go you know Andrews or Hawkinson if you want to get on that tight end. Um, but the one interesting component I do think, and just this is going to take this thing a whole different direction, is I've always found the the zero RB crowd and the the unique perspective they have you're just taking better players that score more more points than running backs right it's it's already yeah. proven i put an article out this week about you know basically once in full ppr when you hit like the average rb4 wide receivers catch them and just dust them the rest of the way out but the interesting thing about the, a lot of the the past catcher zealots on zealots probably is the greatest word but uh the, no they always the right word taking, they love taking tight ends early Uh, which is unique to me because tight ends, like, if you get Kelsey, it's fine if you get that player, but, like, it's not as great. Like, you look at the positional leverage, like, having a a better running back is way better than having, uh, you know, an elite tight end outside of the tight end one. Like, if you're talking like the tight end two, the tight end three, like having an elite running back is still better. Uh, but they chase, they'll chase the position a little bit that way. Like the guy I've cooled the most, and I think this offseason is Hawkinson. Like, I mean, I've. I, I, I don't take him ever. I've yeah. just really cooled on him. I mean, it's really great to make the target share argument and have a tight end. But I just don't know if the ceiling is going to be there to warrant. Like, if you look at last year. I don't even really I, think he can score 10 touchdowns. Like, I would be shocked yeah. if he did. You know, I was looking at his touchdown production. He's been really dependent on short touchdowns and in the end zone. How often do they get to that area of the field? And then you look at last year too, especially where it was the all time like worst tight end scoring output in terms of individual output. Like once you get to tight end three and beyond, and he couldn't even like leapfrog those guys. Uh, So, I mean, I, I've been, I've cooled on him like a lot recently, but uh, I do find it interesting though, that, uh, you know, that definitely the pass catchers love to take these like tight ends that I don't believe offer
0: the, the upside of like the Travis Kelsey type. So I can explain why that is because the original zero running back article by Sean and the extended one since then it's been about dominating every position I mean Mm -hmm. the the key thing is dominating the flex right like the 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 key thing is to win the flex every single week and you know we have seen extensions like in my home league with my buddies we have three flexes now because I've been like let's just add more players the FFPC you have two flexes the NFFC you have two flex or maybe you don't have two flexes I can't remember off the top of my head if you do or not, but the idea is that you need to win the flex. And then you kind of just take that thought the next, the, the next step further. And you're like, okay, well, I want to win tight end and I want to win quarterback. So, you know, the zero RB builds or the anchor RB builds often have you taking Dak, Kyler, Lamar, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and then also be actually kind of as a function of how high the wide receivers have been pushed up. A lot of times you're sitting there in the fifth and you're like, okay, Mark Andrews, right. Or sitting in the sixth, Mark Andrews, or sitting in the third George Kittle. And, and like that thought process just carries itself naturally to, if I want to win the flex, well then I want to be winning the onesie positions as well. I, I, I take Kittle a lot because he's available with some of those early picks in the third, which I like, if you can start Zeke, yeah. Zeke, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, George Kittle, or whatever, like, or or Zeke, AJ Brown, George Kittle, mm-hmm. like, boom, sick start, right? Like, that's that's an awesome start, and I like I do that quite a bit. Um, but I'm I'm probably a little I'm I know for a fact from my projections I'm a little bit higher than the market on Kittle. You know, though we don't know exactly what's uh you know the the target share and how much San Francisco is going to pass and stuff like that. That, they're an interesting team altogether
1: because obviously every you and your favorite analyst have ramrodded home the notion of the 49ers play this great schedule in the playoffs and yeah. it's like you know every but every team in the best Albania like it's been breached around this this the, the strategy of just stacking 49ers when we get to these weeks and uh i mean it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out because their team like in blowouts under kyle shanahan have like historically like bro it's been, jeff wilson jr season have not been like fantasy juggernauts. Like, you remember, like, the they like dusted the Panthers like a couple of years ago, like two years ago in that Super Bowl run, and like they beat them by like 50 or whatever. Like, Tevin Coleman has like the four touchdowns out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's there's always like that kind of stuff. I do think that the 49ers are interesting because everyone seems to be p- high on all their guys, right? Like, we like Kittle, we like Iuke, we like Debo. But if Trey Lance does start and starts the majority of the season, there's an interesting dynamic of, one you're adding a mobile quarterback which reduces pass attempts two, like these these mobile quarterbacks rookie mobile quarterbacks especially have not supported multiple fantasy assets uh yes like which is an interesting you know kind of a layout because everyone likes kind of all three guys so the fact that all uh, the, the odds of all three guys hitting are probably pretty low uh and there could be a lot more variance there um but I don't really have a problem, problem with Kittle either. Like, there's going to be that one season where Kittle scores touchdowns. There just has to be. And Kelsey did that early in his career. Early yep. in Kelsey's career, he was never, like, a, a, a great touchdown scorer. And then, obviously, the you know, the doors get blown off with a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but when you look at, like, a weekly – in terms of weekly leverage on a week-to-week basis, the two positions that provide well, – the, 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 the having, like, the number one score at quarterback provides the least leverage you know we know that so like that's kind of been like indoctrinated into us we 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 know that and then it's like running back is like third on the list so yeah i mean I, I always find it interesting you want to have i feel like you still want to pursue one elite running back uh in fantasy I like i still always want to go for that because if you hit on it You know, um, there's no parachute, obviously, if you don't hit on it. That's like the article Crane put out at NBC. Like, you know, there's the dead zone actually starts in round one. You know, the the running back dead zone actually starts to begin. But on the same token, like having an elite scoring wide receiver also provides the least amount of positional leverage on a weekly basis. Because
0: everyone has wide receivers (laughs) scoring lots of points. Yeah.
1: I mean, so it's, it's, it's unique. It's a unique dichotomy to kind of go through uh, because wide receivers in general, you're going to say, I'm going to take the guy that's going to score the most points of a season and let that play out as it may. Uh, but on a weekly level, I mean, having these elite running back performances, this is why in DFS, everyone still plays running backs, <laughs> yes. you know?
0: Yeah. Because at, at the high end, at the true high end, this, and this is, um, I mean, this is not a good argument or a nuanced argument that people make, but the, the, the people who are still out there doing the Lord's work for robust RB will point out to you that actually the true high-end finishers, the true win rate guys are a lot of the times running backs, right? It'll be your CMCs, your Barclays, your, you know, your David Montgomery's last year or whatever. And they'll be like, okay, well, the running backs who do end up staying healthy and getting this massive workload they do end up being the league winners to which the zero RB people will point out. Yeah. But they're all bad bets. Look like, I mean, here, yeah, l- yeah. let me pull up, let me pull up the ADP from last year, 2020 fantasy football ADP. Cause I remember some absolutely hilarious names going very high last year that, that people will completely forget. Right. Yeah. Well, so, Jacobs was a one, two turn guy. Uh, I mean, uh, Kenyon Drake. Oh, well, and yeah. You...
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: all right. The most obvious fail pick of all time. That's not even me, like, with hubris. Like, yeah, I mean...
0: Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders, Todd Gurley, Chris Carson, James Conner, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Mark Ingram, uh, Fournette. What was David
1: Johnson's ADP last year?
0: David Johnson was routinely, and it depends on the format, <laughs> but he was routinely, like, a fourth, fifth-round pick, which he kind of paid off. He kind of paid it off, but it was not a big win rate guy. Like it would not surprise no, no me. No way. Yeah. Like it would not surprise me if like people listening to this are like, oh, you know, I won my 12 team league with David Johnson. He gave me a couple spike weeks. He caught passes or whatever, but he was not like a real win rate guy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there were lots of guys who just straight up you know, Jordan Howard, uh, Marlon Mack, carry on Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Sony, Michelle, Tari Cohen, Zach Moss, Matt Breida. Te- I mean, just, there were so many, and and that's basically the point is that right. it's not even 50-50 that your running back pick doesn't work out. It's like 80-20 your running back pick doesn't work out after even in and, and as Corrine pointed out, that's kind of true in the first round. Um, but you know, it's it's less true. Like uh, of the first round running backs last year, McCaffrey got hurt, Barkley got hurt. Elliot stayed healthy, but, you know, was victimized by Dak getting injured. Derrick Henry, huge year. Dalvin Cook, huge year. Alvin Kamara, big year. CEH, I think, a little unfairly maligned. Like, he just, he ran really, really bad and also got injured. Jacobs was fine. Chubb got hurt, but was kind of fine. Joe Mixon got hurt. Aaron Jones was fine. Like, you know, it, it mm-hmm. so to, 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 the, to the grand point to this is, I am not exactly 100% aligned with Overzet and Corain and Gretch and Sean on these things, because even if I'm picking at 11, let's say I'm, I'm uh, we, let's say you and I and Thorman and Silva, we're doing this main event team and we draw the 11 pick and we're on the clock and Aaron Jones is there and Saquon Barkley's there and Steph Diggs is there. Sean is like snapping up a lot of the time. The digs right he's just he's like okay we're taking digs and i'm like you know what i totally get it and i agree with his logic i agree with the math i agree with all of it but i'm there on the clock and i'm going i'm taking jonathan taylor i'm taking saquon barkley though you know the barkley stuff is like a little bit we, we don't really know um but barkley is so clearly a guy who can have the season but that's that's besides the point that's micro analysis my macro analysis is I feel like my teams are going to be so much better when I have a running back who's like 19 and a half points per game. And I, I make that up, you know, elsewhere, basically.
1: Yeah. Because you can't arbitrage that uh, on a weekly level, which is new. And when you could, when you compare that to historical ADP of landing those types of running backs, you have to pay to play. And it, granted there's a, you have those situations with like CMC last year, uh, or in Zeke, like where they are, Saquon, you know, was, I think that he was like number three or number two in ADP. And, you know, you have those situations where guys get hurt. And then the, they said, there's no parachute, but it is typically been pay to play. If you want to land one of those guys, you're not landing a, you know, guy that can have a four point season, like the eighth round. It just rarely happens, you know, and beyond. Um, I will say the one people the, like when, so like to take this to another conversation with that, when people do do that approach, um, and go zero RB, uh, I will say people don't have the 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 fortitude to just wait
0: long enough at running back. That then, is and where and that it. is where people mess up. Is they, they take it. they take Javante Williams in the fifth round. They take Mike Davis in the fifth round. They cause, Miles cause what you, my, yeah because <laughs> what you actually have to do. And Sean wrote a great article about this last offseason called "If You're Struggling with Zero RB, You're Not Taking Enough Wide Receivers." what you got to do is you got to take like eight wide receivers and you have to, cause some of those guys will bust. Some of them will get hurt. And you, you, not only do you have to be winning wide receiver every week, but you have to be winning the flex every week. Like, and if you don't, you're done, you're just total dust.
1: Yeah. I think people see when they, when they start out wide receiver heavy and they want to just shoot for the moon on running back picks instead of making logical backup running back picks. And I did an article on RB twos, like the, the, accurately select their running back teams but a lot of times people will get in like the eighth round they be like oh i have to snatch up tony pollard because if i have an rb1 on this team it will take this team just to the moon uh and but the fact that but tony Pollard can only hit in one avenue an ezekiel injury like he can only help you in one avenue uh with only one outcome uh and people you know tend to jump the boat on stuff like that and like you said like uh like whether it be like javante williams or or one of those guys. You see, most people try to just reach for the running backs that instead of having getting guys later in the draft that are sound bets to overcome the incumbents right now, because we know, like historically, like depressed RB ones have been like bad bets when they're not rookies. So, like guys like Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin did it to someone last year, uh, you know, uh, in the same spot. You know, Jordan Howard was a team RB one going into the RB thirties. Like people were like, "Oh, we'll take a shot because he's the lead back," but there's a reason he's in the RB30s. Like, you know, it's a it's, it's a spot to highlight, like, hey, you want backups attached to this guy. Um, we have a few guys like that this year where you just, like, Mike Davis is a great example. So Mike Davis, if anyone really actually believed in Mike Davis, he'd be a third rounder.
0: Like, yeah.
1: But people are, he's only there because he's a 28-year-old guy that's on, like, what, a six-team. And people look at the Falcons depth chart and they say, oh man, there's just nobody there. It's going to, he's going to be this guy, but historically those guys have one, not hit. And then two, those backups that everyone leaves on the table. Those
0: have been the guys that slide yeah. in like a miles quadrille Quadre Quadra- Olison, yeah, JB yeah, Hawkins, Quarterell yeah. Patterson, whoever.
1: The, the the best RB two picks are almost never ever ever uh, like top one hundred single digit picks. They're all it's, the guys. It's never
0: hit. it's never the guy where you're like, well, who else will get the touches, right? It's never Jordan yes. Howard. It's never Matt Breida. It's always it's always someone who is more uh, ambiguous than that. Yeah, and but but people leave those guys because
1: they're just like, Well, I don't know who that guy is. There's no shot. But those are the guys you take at the end of your drafts when you have these types of builds. Like you said, the Quadre Olisons, uh, the Ramondre Stevens, uh Stevensons, like those oh, yeah. are the guys. Uh, you know, whatever it be, whatever Seattle running back you like. Uh, you know, those are the guys you take you take shots on there. go at the very, very end of drafts. Jarrett Patterson or Daryl Williams. Uh, those are the guys you want to uh, take your flyers. I know they're not sexy. Like it's not fun picking any of those players, but those are
0: the guys that logically, and you, when you look at the history. (laughs) See, but that, that is fun for me. Like, it's fun for me to like, I, I love um, uh, I've been doing these 20 round drafts on drafters. They have, uh, and, and their format is, I mean, I, I go back and forth on what I like better, but their format is just cumulative. So it's 17 weeks of scoring. Team with the most points wins. Right? No, no playoffs. No, no, no pairing down. It's just, it's just, uh, you know, most points wins. And I love in those drafts taking Jonathan Taylor, taking Antonio Gibson, taking Clyde edwards Solaire, smashing running backs for like seven rounds, taking an elite quarterback, and then Daryl Williams, Devontae Booker, Giovanni Bernard, James White, guys like that. Um, like I, I love, I love that construction.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what you that's what you want. I know, like it, you know, a lot of people don't like to pick players; they don't think objectively aren't good, and that's not fun in your draft. But yeah, when you look at history, these are the types of guys that are, are going to hit more than the RB twos that have like like Ronald Jones and guys like that. Like those are guys that aren't going to be able to fully pop because they've got guys in their way. They you're not going to get the you have to land on the weeks where just someone doesn't play, right? Like one of those guys, just like you need Leonard that does not play uh and you might get those weeks but on a weekly basis like you have to wait for those weeks and those guys are just occupying spots in your rosters where you can't play them because nothing is worse in your weekly lineup than just average running back production it, it doesn't help you at all yeah thir- uh, 13
0: points per game or whatever from from i mean even mike davis like let's let's say mike davis is the starting running back for the falcons for the whole season He still like might be kind of dusty because of how much they're going to throw the ball and and like he, he could be like a 13 point per game player and not help you at all. Right. Um, yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm interesting. I'm, I'm kind of in the, between I'm more in your route. Like I, I, if I've got a shot to land at a guy that I believe is a, uh, you know, a, a three down equity back and has that type of ceiling, I'm going to pounce on those guys. And sometimes I'll take two, like we did that last year in our main event where we went Henry Eckler, Henry and Eckler. wide receiver the rest of the way through. Uh, If I have a chance to get one of those guys that I believe is in that mold, I'm going to do it. But if you also look at my rankings, I have wide receivers a lot higher than the consensus as well. Like, you know, like I have Calvin Ridley ahead of Joe Mixon. He never, he never goes ahead of him really. Sure. Uh, You know, I have him near that, you know, as a one, a first round, second round turn guy. Like I said, I have Devontae Adams six overall, you know, and you know, so I have it more spread out that I believe, you know, those three down archetype guys, you know, you want to layer them in. And then you just want to fade a lot of the guys that we hit on earlier, Let's like glossed over these guys that don't catch passes uh, maybe are not getting the touch. They're not in the touchdown role. If they do catch passes and then those are the guys like you don't want to elevate Like we talked about the Gaskins and those are the guys you just have to, you have to move those guys way down the line. Um, Swift's probably like a little, he's like the weird, like in the weird I can, I up. can't,
0: I can't do it, man. I I cannot take DeAndre Swift like they are giving so much map, lip service to Jamal Williams. They're not going to be that good. He would he would just have to catch so many passes like I, I, which could happen. I mean if they if they want to dial it up that DeAndre Swift catches eighty passes, then I will get burnt right. I that'll just I will just get burnt on that. And I do see that as semi plausible. Like I, that is, I mean, Jared Goff is no stranger to the dump off. Right. And Swift is going to play on a lot of the obvious passing downs, but I mean, dude, he could have a season with like 234 touches and four touchdowns like that, like that could could really happen.
1: Yeah. I look at it for when I'm in the, 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 the the weird spot of running backs of like, so just like doing the forward thinking of like, all right, so what guys from this group though could be, like first or second round picks next year you know so it's like guys yeah. that, and like i think swift and Etienne are the two guys that stand out the most because swift could just be that good too like where like they what if he's just playing so good that they just have to play him like he's just he's a he he's a good prospect he's a second round pick he can catch passes he, he kind of does a little bit of everything that we like and then Etienne, obviously he's a first round pick This guy is just a a massive touchdown. Uh, The the ETN
0: upside thing is just so obvious. It's so clear how it happens. It's like James Robinson was amazing playing 90% of the snaps, trim him down to 54% of the snaps. ETN's going to look better every time he gets the ball. Trevor Lawrence and ETN went to college together, which like you think that doesn't matter, but stuff like that so matters to at least the way I play the game, like things like that really matter and etn's just really good i mean i look at
1: this jaguars offense and they've got some solid players that we like and we like the upside if they if players like dj shark can hit their upside if Lavisca Shark can hit his ceiling but i mean travis Etienne's their most talented player on this offense like it's i don't i don't i think from an objective stance he he's their best player and he's got a chance to really yeah, i mean I depends think, how you
0: feel about Viska.
1: i mean i am nowhere near the level of you guys are on Viska. Yeah. uh because it's fair because Visca is is the is the juju comp guy right like so like rotoviz and a lot of people that like Visca, these objective comps are going to spit out these guys like des bryant because of his size and people did this with juju but he doesn't play like that at all like lavisca chanala is is like an interior yak centric slot guy like he's
0: he's percy harvin yeah he's debo samuel basically yeah yeah, that's actually a great comp he's very debo ish you know um, he's never scored more than six
1: receiving touchdowns in any year even going back through college. Yeah. Uh, he, he's just, I mean, I, I have no problem with with his ADP, all these year two guys, we can have a year two wide receiver conversation too. Cause I think all those guys are fine. Just add them to your roster. The asymmetrical upside is, is good. Is great. I would never push back on taking LaVisca Shaw at wide receiver 48 or 52 wide receiver 52, wherever he goes. Uh, but I do believe that, yeah, the, the objective people that follow the just objective comp stuff are going to get juju on him because he's not that type of player. He's, he actually, when you, he plays a different position than what you think he does based on his, his archetype, his physical archetype. And I think that's where people get the mental hurdle. They can't get past it. And that's why the upside gets kind of drawn in. But uh, I, I have no problem that you guys like him at wide receiver, you know, 48 or whatever people like Michael Pittman. Uh, there's no problem with any of those guys. Uh, the, the downside on those guys is pretty minimal.
0: Yeah. And, and like, I mean, that's the other thing about, you know, do you approach fantasy football from a trying to pick the right players or from a more macro perspective and just like a very productive college player produced decent as a rookie offense should be better high draft capital second year player. Like all, like you just, you just check all those boxes and you're like lots of guys like LaVisca Chenault are going to break out that I, I, mm-hmm. this is actually a guy I really wanted to pick your brain on. Cause I bet you do not like him. I bet you're out on Henry Ruggs. I bet you were just like, dude, I'm not taking Henry Ruggs. Whereas like me, I'm like, he was the first wide receiver drafted in what might end up being like the best wide receiver group ever. Like the, like the, the lamb Jefferson, group of you know Pittman Rager like all these dudes Ruggs was the first one that went Nelson Egalor is gone I do think there's a little bit of something to like Darren Waller was a volume hog in a vacuum like he got so much volume last year because Ruggs was not ready to play wide receiver really like I I do think there's a fairly massive season out there for Ruggs if he can play
1: I'm fine like listen somewhere I'm not going to push back on anyone's really you know player there especially a guy that you know we know his like speed was has the capital that they're invested in to kind of you know see this thing through i just have no faith in like what the raiders did with him last year like sure. how do we how do we double down and just believe in this this coaching staff man how do we how do we buy that they're just going to magically like the lights are going to flip on and they're going to know how to use this kid uh 41 of his targets were targets 15 yards or further downfield he had just two end zone targets all year he had just two red zone targets didn't even record a red yep. zone reception um he wasn't that player in at Alabama Devontae Smith was the vertical guy and you know he's you they got to get you got to Henry Ruggs the ball in motion he's be running digs he needs to be running slants you wanted him to use his speed and be able to run away he needs to be he needs
0: to play like Stephon Diggs I think is like because remember remember Minnesota used him that way then flipped him and made him the down the field guy and he had a bad year Right. Remember, like, remember what he, he was, it was 2019, right. Was the year where they changed his average depth of target. And he went from being, you know, amazing guy. Yeah. Yeah. And they need to use him more like Buffalo used him. Not that, not that Henry Ruggs is anywhere near as good as Stefan Diggs. I don't, I don't think that, but that would be the comp of how they should be using him on offense.
1: That, that guy is Judy. Judy's the guy that has the Diggs profile. Judy, Uh, the guy that, Judy could blow up because he's the guy that, that runs all the routes uh, is, is an awesome separator. They just, again, didn't use him at all when it mattered. I mean, dude, he had less red. zone, so, if you were red zone targets, than Troy Fumagalli, uh, he's another guy. Didn't even a red zone reception. Uh, yeah. Didn't have an end zone reception. Uh, they, they've got to find a way for that usage to kind of increase for him, but he is that profile of like guy that can do a little bit of everything. Uh, whereas rugs still has a lot to prove. I think in that area, like you said, you know, said to get that Dixie and route tree and that type of dude, type of command that, that, types of target. that
0: 2018, I, I, I was like kind of waffling on Judy a little bit. And then I did that draft on stealing bananas with Gretchen and Sean. And I went and looked at that 2018 Alabama team. And Judy had the most yards and the most touchdowns on a team that had Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, Jalen Waddle, Najah Harris, Ruggs, Herb Smith Jr., Devonta Smith, Brian Robinson Jr., who's going to be a high draft pick this year in the NFL. And Hale Hentages, who is, I mean, you laugh, but like that dude is in, like, he is in the NFL and that was their <laughs> second tight end. Like, I mean, he was so dominant on what looks like maybe the best collection of offensive players ever and Uh, I mean, Judy, Sean, Sean made this point, Judy sixth in the NFL in air yards last year, which you can make all your things about air yards, whatever, whatever six in the NFL in air yards is pretty gnarly as a rookie.
1: Yeah. I, my only early concern with Judy is I think that his, so his apex probably, as I said, turning to a Diggsian like player. Yeah. And then short term, I see him more on like the DJ Moore spectrum.
0: Yeah. Like where he's like,
1: that's where I see him. Like, I, I don't see a lot of immediate touchdown upside right now. And I see quarterback, obviously we see quarterback play as a problem.
0: Uh, you know, obviously Teddy can help that a little bit, but Teddy also isn't going to help the touchdown number. Teddy, Teddy, uh. Teddy can <laughs> give him 130 targets and four touchdowns, which is, it's just, he's just DJ Moore at that point.
1: Yeah, I see him more on the early career DJ Moore, which is not I don't want that to sound negative either. That's not a negative. I was joking with you at DJ Moore earlier this uh, this morning on Twitter. Uh, the hater, just dude. Fun with it. Rich, no, Rich, it was, the DJ Moore hater. What's funny is I actually was the guy telling people to be cautious on DJ Moore last year, and now I'm telling people to be aggressive on him this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? what, what
0: what are your what are your range of outcomes for Darnold? Like you know, you you ask someone and they give you a different opinion. Some people still believe. Right. He had that four touchdown game. I think it was against the Raiders. Like I, I like there are times where you can squint and see it. Cause he does, he does make those throws. You know what I mean? Like he does make some of those crazy back foot, you know, you, you no quarterback could see it. He slots the ball in there. He's got the very convenient. Well Ryan Tannehill was awful for a decade and then got away from Gase and is now like this unbelievable touchdown machine in Tennessee, He's got a very creative offensive coordinator. I think we all think Joe Brady's really good. I think we all think the Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall, Christian McCaffrey off like he's got, I mean, he's how's their offensive line. I mean, I don't even know. It's bad. Yeah. Well, what I mean, can you do? it's
1: one of those things like there could be some variants there, but objectively like they signed guys like Pat Elfman, and like, they, like they tried to nickel and dime this thing uh, in the off season, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh what's funny is if you were to say put the Jets, the way the Jets offensive line is currently constructed is objectively a lot better than the Panthers. Yeah. Well, they spent uh,
0: they spent a bunch of money and cap draft capital on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, with Darnold, I mean, really the two arguments for him right now are one, the the weapons. Wep- system and weapons that you do and then like the, to the opening schedule we'll know right away we're gonna know the first month if there's anything here because yeah. he plays he plays the Jets the Texans and the Cowboys in three of the first four games like we're not gonna have to really sit on the fence here and figure this thing out <laughs> um we'll know right away I mean obviously with Darnold though I go back to him coming out and he was not a great uh objective prospect in my prospect no. model Mm-mm. which is which I kind of like look at how his careers played out and I'm like oh yeah well so like there's some conviction there where it's, I'm just kind of doubling down on that but I mean he was outplayed by Flacco in the same offense when Flacco got to play last year it's not great yeah I mean and then you look at just his clean pocket stats like when you can remove kind of some of the ancillary stuff of like the the pressure cuz he's been the most pressured quarterback basically the last two years but his clean pocket stats were just a nightmare too and that could be a byproduct of the him seeing ghost thing because of the situation he's been placed in these quarterbacks that have really gotten beat up earlier in their careers, like when you go back and think of, uh, you know, like David Carr, like you, know, they, you just like those guys can't get out. They just can't. They can't alter their uh, approaches. Their career moves on because they just got shell shocked at the early in their career. And Darnold might be, maybe, is that the like that he'll just always see ghosts now because of it so we'll see what happens i mean i he's not a guy like i'm personally excited about to to draft myself and unless it's these best ball formats i'm not going to probably stream him out of the gates uh but i will say like the schedule's enough to at least give this thing a look and give him a chance the first month
0: yeah i mean i'm i'm obviously being pretty aggressive with dj moore and you know anytime christian mccaffrey's there it's not like i have any worries about i mean i think christian mccaffrey would be unbelievable with uh Ryan Leaf at quarterback or whatever I, I don't even really think it matters but like is in terms of being aggressive on like Robbie uh like like I much prefer to take Terrace Marshall to Robbie basically and I know that Robbie has like his his fans out there but I, I feel like Marshall is like this crazy value because the Panthers don't have a tight end they don't have a fourth wide receiver though I mean I I guess maybe they could give David more more snaps than they gave Jarius Wright in the past. It seems unlikely, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all in on Terrence Marshall. I throughout the draft process and uh, even continued now. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they, use 70, uh, they used seventy these wide receiver, uh, three wide receivers, are more than seventy percent of their offensive snaps last year. They targeted their wide receiver seventy one percent of the time last year, and that was while they were still seventh in target rate to running backs. So even with Christian McCaffrey coming back, I mean, this is still going to be a a three wide receiver heavy offense. And we saw that, you know, in LSU, obviously he's got the, it's not a shower narrative with a quarterback, but it's a scheme shower narrative. I mean, he was in this, he played under Joe Brady. uh, Might even even
0: be a more powerful (laughs) narrative. I mean, and and if you want to, if you want to extend that narrative even further, there was kind of rumors that uh, Marshall had medical red flags, but like who would be able to get well, who would be able to get the the medical information better than Joe Brady, who could just email, you know, the trainers at LSU and yeah. be like, what's, what's the deal? Like what's going on with him? So I, I don't know. It's just like, for example, the way that ADP is falling right now, I feel like he's going after lots of guys he should not go after, you know, going after Cole Beasley and TY Hilton and like in like the AJ Green range, which god god help me i am kind of starting to buy in on on aj green but i feel like marshall i is will just... not
1: I will, I will not come on this podcast and let you, davis maddox i'll be oh. on a... 30, it's, you know, it's 33
0: Le- nobody leone leone is giving me brain worms dude leone is like like giving me brain worms to start taking like melvin gordon and aj green because he loves the i will tell you so I, I would
1: love i would love as a fan to have see AJ green at least have one more good year i mean i'm not going to be on the ride to find out if it's happening on my fantasy teams but he's been such an easy player to root for over his career if he ended up having one more good career i would i would be all right still missing out on it uh i have marshall yeah 55 ahead of those yeah. guys you named Um, it was the way he fits in here too. I mean, this is a team that's going to score more passing touchdowns this year uh, based on just last year, the way things oscillate in the NFL. And the other two players that he has to combat for red zone targets with have not proven to be great red zone scorers so far in their careers, both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Uh, That could flip. It's it's really more of an opportunity and scheme game for a lot of those players. But I mean, Terrace Marshall, that's where he wins. He wins in the big game. And especially if he's going to play in that slot role, I would love to see the Panthers do more mix and matching with guys uh, this year than they did last. Let those guys operate a little more diverse route trees. Like you would like to see Robbie Anderson run a little bit more of the routes DJ Moore had last year and vice versa. Uh, I would like to see more diversity this, this season from the Panthers wide receivers in that regard, especially because all three of those guys, I believe can do so many multiple things. You don't want to have just Robbie Anderson being a yak centric guy. Again, I don't think that that's a, a necessarily using him fully to his strengths. Uh, so we'll see how the shakeup of losing a guy like Curtis Samuel, like, and getting Chris McCaffrey back kind of alters the approach here, but I would like to see Joe Brady do
0: some, do some more unique
1: things with, with the actual wide receivers and the route trees this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, where are you at on the Eagles stuff? Are you, are you interested at all in Rager? I mean, Devonta Smith is very expensive. Goddard is fairly expensive considering that it's, it looks like Zach Ertz is just going to play with the team this year. I mean, I, I know that you have concerns about the volume because Hertz probably is going to run a lot and you probably are not as much of a true believer in Hertz as I am. Like, I, I do think, I think Hertz is going to be really good. And I think the way that Nick Sirianni and the Eagles are handling him with like, Oh, we might play Flacco. We might trade for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I, I feel like it's all very, I feel like it's all bad. And I, I feel like they're going to feel stupid about it in you know, 12 months or whatever, but I, I mean, there are just a lot of question marks there.
1: I'm not necessarily worried about the volume. I mean, it was a different staff, but when Hertz played last year, I mean, he, he averaged 33 pass attempts per game, like he was writing it. Uh, the thing you want to see change with Hertz um, and I'm on the pro side of Hertz, at least for redraft. Uh, I have hedged a lot of dynasty bets. I mean, I'm in a couple of leagues with you and I've traded him because he's just, it's one of those, you know, cash out while you can situations. You know, why not? You don't go broke making a dollar because he was, I took him in the second round of so many leagues. Obviously, you know, he's the archetype of player that I am going to glom onto. And I, uh, I but you want to say for him, you want to see this new staff really try to Change just what Jalen Hurts did. He was just a mad bomber last year. You know, led the league in a dot. Not only was he last in completion rate uh for quarterbacks that qualified, he was last at expected completion rates. All he did was throw the ball deep. He's chucking uh, it, dude. Yeah, he was just winging it. uh You'd like to see them just get him some more easy throws, like the Bills did with Josh Allen this past year. You'll know, get him some bunnies. You know, mixing
0: some bunnies. That's all you got to do. Which would uh, be huge for Sanders. Would be it would be massive for Sanders because Sanders is going to have that problem where. He's squeezed by Jalen Hurts at the goal line and might not catch a ton of passes if they don't work in those bunnies
1: and, and Goddard too. I mean, you look at Goddard splits and, you know, the efficiency really wasn't there for where his ADP lies, especially in context of the position he's in that like tight end dead zone, you know, that historically is not like people have chased because they're like, Oh, I don't have a tight end. I've got to take the next best guy. And then, you know, there's, you can talk yourself in the upside for a player. Uh, But yeah, he was, he was a guy that uh, was a lot better with Carson Wentz uh, in terms of efficiency than he was with Jalen Hurts. And that's a small sample, but I have not drafted really Goddard at all the the entire summer. I don't, I don't see like a great like path for him to like hit his ceiling. Uh, but Hertz still on the pro side. I will say though, I can unequivocally tell you that there absolutely is fire to the smoke with Deshaun Watson if he is available. to that Oh yeah, I I believe it. Yeah, no, I <laughs> like believe that is, it. That is one hundred percent true. Uh, so I mean that that is out there as well. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. The whole Deshaun Watson thing is so weird because I know the NFL implemented all these new CBA r- rules and like it feels like they just this situation was not on the their. They their never brains. thought this would happen. Because there's no, re- he, there's no benefit for him, for the Texans or Deshaun Watson, for them to be going through this right now, uh, the way it's going on. Like, you know, They've got him lining up at running back. They've got him standing in at safety. Uh, there's Because you don't need any commitment for trade value either. There's no thing where he's increasing his trade value right now. If he's available from a PR stance, teams will take him. They will yes. absolutely take him. Uh, the only roadblock right now is that, you know, the hanging element of – you know, the the PR nightmare and the firestorm. And it I was getting clarity on that situation. And we're not going to have it because he's not even going to go, what, to civil trial until February. So, like, it's not going to happen. So it's, it's going to be a real unique thing to how this thing plays out this year because I can't really see a lot of GMs really want to trade for him while this is not resolved, but also it's not going to be resolved. So,
0: I mean, I'm no lawyer. That's just my you know, I well, I view the situation. What, but. what is weird is like this dude's at camp. What are they going to do when the games start? Like if he's getting paychecks, like what what is, is Deshaun Watson going to be the, the healthy scratch third quarterback week one when the Texans go to go play? Like what is the, like I have no clarity on what, like, what are they going to yeah, play, Watson? <laughs> yeah, because if I understand it right, he's showing up because of all this stuff they did to the CBA that if he doesn't show up, the Texans are not allowed to waive the fines in the right. current CBA rules. So he would not be able to get paid and he would have to pay these fines. So that's why he's at camp. But then if he's at camp, like what, we had that, that dumb report yesterday that he was playing safety on the scout team. Like he's done it what, two days in a row. He's been on defense. Like what, are, like, what's the plan? <laughs> like, are you, are, 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 are they just punishing him and not, and giving Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor the court? Like I do, like what is, It's so bizarre. It's so weird to even have this guy at camp.
1: And they said ever, all the beats have said he's been fourth in line and all the reps and all the drills. Uh, He's basically just there because he has to be there. And the Texans can't do anything about it. He's literally just there. So he doesn't get fined. Right. Yeah. He's the Marshawn, the Marshawn quote. And like you said, they can't, they can't waive the fines. Like in typical years where if a running back held out, they'd just say, Oh yeah, well we worked this out. We'll waive all those fines that, you know, on your new contract. But it's you a, It's a really weird situation. It's odd. I don't think the NFL had the foresight like, to see this, and obviously the commissioner is not doing anything about it. It's just a weird. Yeah. Thing why
0: is he not on do. the commissioner exempt list? Like this is this, yeah, this is know, why people doing. this is why people are like the NFL can't get a handle on the fact that they have a bunch of fucking barbarians and gladiators <laughs> and like it's like you got to figure this shit out. Like and they it feels like every time one of these things comes up, Roger fucks it up. Like every time. Are you like taking shots on Watson in drafts or no, no, Are, no. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I think it is so likely that he doesn't play. And, and like, so Rogers, I was like Rogers. I was oh, taking yeah, yeah, a yeah, ton yeah, yeah. like Rogers. I was like, that dude's playing. Um, I could check my, I could check my underdog stuff right here. Um, I, okay, I actually don't draft him again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel stupid about it because I, I definitely don't have enough, um, Aaron Jones. I, yeah, I have very little, I have very little Aaron Jones, not enough Aaron Rodgers, uh, but I was taking some shots on him, but just in retrospect, it feels incredibly bad and stupid to not have been taking more Aaron Rodgers, more Aaron Jones, more Devontae Adams. Like the, that was kind of an obvious situation where it was going to work out. I actually feel like in terms of back end of the draft quarterbacks to take a stab on now, you are so much more better serve taking one of the new Orleans guys, whichever I I think probably Taysom has the better upside stuff because he might like, I don't know, he could run for 11 touchdowns in a season or something. Uh, and, and Jameis could have a really good season too, though. I think it's much more likely without Michael Thomas, because when Jameis was having those great fantasy seasons, he was throwing to Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, man, I was, in, I was in drafts where the Christian McCaffrey drafter was getting Aaron Jones at the 2-3 turn. Uh, yeah, I'm like that was a clear, how... yeah, clearly. I was hammering Aaron Jones as much as I could. I took him in my pros versus Joe's draft in the second round um, because he, I imagine he's going to vault back. His ADP really hasn't gone up a lot, though, since then, or Adams and Rodgers has. Uh, Rodgers is actually, you just hands off now because he's basically jumped like QB6. And like, you, you, Aaron Rodgers had the Derrick Henry season last year. The dude was absolutely flawless. Uh, yeah. Career highs in completion rate, touchdown rate. He led the NFL in red zone passing touchdowns. Just went absolutely nuclear. He's absolutely flawless from a passing perspective, and still was the QB four in points per game. it's just, yeah. yeah, it's and it, so you're at you take him at QB six. He has to be absolutely as flawless again to pay off at that ADP. Uh, you're giving yourself no wiggle room. I mean, he's basically out. You needed to get all that discount uh, Aaron Rodgers by buying. Um, and
0: I, I was doing the same thing. I was grabbing those guys when I could. <laughs> Um, I wish I would I definitely more Monte Adams. Yeah. I definitely one. did not do it enough though. Like I'm looking at my stuff and I'm like, this was a clear leak. Like this was like Justin Herzig before that news, he, you know, he posts all of his exposures and everything. And he like Aaron Jones is his most drafted running back. And I'm like, like he just knows like, he just gets it. Like, but I, yeah. so the, the grand point is, is I don't think that Watson is one of those now granted the cost is incredibly low. Like most of the time you can get him with your very last pick. Certainly a guy you would not have to stack. Like you don't need to be taking Texans wide receivers or Eagles wide receivers or Broncos wide receivers with him or anything. And look, if he comes back and plays and I get, I, you know, I, I don't win the stupid million dollars because of Sean Watson, whatever. But I, I, I just don't, I do not think it's a particularly good angle.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm with
0: you. I haven't, I haven't
1: drafted him even once yet. Uh, so I'll be holding that bag <laughs> if we miss out on that. <laughs>
0: yeah uh okay Ezekiel Elliott where are you at where are you at on Zeke I I have him ranked as my third overall player I'm good I'm good taking him there I think we are kind of biased against Zeke for a couple reasons one we all like his backup and we think that his backup is better than him and two he was last time we saw him he looked like shit because he was playing with you know Ben DiNucci um and I I think those (laughs) things are kind of biasing us against him but I feel like I mean, not even I feel. I know that a seventy reception, fifteen touchdown season is just right there for him, and it's not even that hard for him to get it.
1: Yeah, I've been pro Zeke uh, all the entire offseason. I mean, just just let's let's count the things that stacked up against him last year. He Starts with COVID. He has a calf injury. Lael Collins, Tyron Smith, and um, Zach Martin missed thirty six games combined. Yep. Dak misses eleven games. He has two touchdowns after Dak is is, is out uh but you look at and then you look at his goal line splits i mean he converted just five of 12 carries in the one yard line for touchdowns previously in his career he converted 12 of 14 uh so and also the unique thing too is, is even under the first year under mike mccarthy the cowboys were extremely run heavy again in the red zone they did it again uh i i'm trying to pull up the numbers here for you because I, I wrote about this uh in an article i don't know off the top of my head but yeah so yeah Dak prescott actually in, in his career because he's been he's super reliant on t- pa- passing touchdowns outside of the red zone because of the cowboys they just run used to blame it on jason garrett um so yeah since Dak prescott entered the league uh dallas has thrown the ball 48 and a half percent of the time in the red zone it's 25th in the nfl 29th in the nfl in passing rate inside the 10 yard line uh and then, as a byproduct, just twenty-eight percent of his career passing touchdowns have come inside the ten-yard line. It's the lowest rate of any quarterback uh, in the sample in this article. And in the first year, uh, last year, they were twenty-second and. Uh, red zone. Pass. These are the games with Dak Prescott played, by the way. I removed it. I, this is the sample. I didn't just do the, the non-Dak games. When Dak played, they were 22nd in red zone passing rate. They were 27th in passing rate inside the 10-yard line. So they did it again, man. Zeke. They, teams can't help themselves. Like They want to give feed Zeke the ball near the goal line. So I think that with that healthy offensive line, uh, the reg- the regression of him just being poor tied into that near the goal line will definitely play back in that. He's also one of just three running backs uh, the past three years to catch 50 or more passes in each of the past three seasons. Uh, with Eckler and Kamara. So you getting those, uh, I would say they throw to Zeke too much, uh, the Cowboys, uh, but, uh, he's going to get those that safe bet of passing, uh, receptions as well. So I believe that he's the the safest like floor upside guy. You're not going to go broke with Zeke, um, I think it, the, the individual like win rate stuff with Zeke is interesting because one, he's always gone, been drafted high, but I would love to see the running back individual win rate stuff like parsed out uh, by team builds. Like, Because I, I had this conversation with Overset because we were on vacation together a couple weeks ago, a little humble brag, uh, but uh, I was getting the argument that like structural win rates are way more important than individual player win rates you know uh yeah they, they carry a lot more weight because you don't know like so like nick chubb was a guy that was like a borderline nick chubb was a good player last year but he had a borderline win rate where i believe it cost, like yeah if you went robust running back with nick chubb your win rate was probably bad but if you took nick chubb and like a, a and like a bunch of wide receivers you were probably i bet your win rate was a lot better it looked a lot better uh, so I'd, be, I'd like to see some more like stuff like that. When we're doing individual win rate player stuff. Obviously you're going to have outliers that we know just smashed. Like Kamara's win rate was awesome because he was a great player. Kelsey, same way. Like he was like, we don't need to really get in the weeds there. But some of these guys that are right on the borderline, like, I think you'd want to look at more like a team construct stance to say like, oh yeah, this running back pick buried you or this taking a wide receiver here buried you. I think a lot of, uh, structural drafting comes into play when those guys are on the fence.
0: Yeah. I mean, so like that, that really is the key. Like, uh, you know, Zeke paired with, uh, I don't know, David Montgomery actually probably was like a positive win rate thing. Cause Montgomery was so good, you know, and things like that, or, or Zeke with like a super wide receiver, heavy build where, you know, his back half of the season where he was bad, but you know, at least healthy would have been better for you. The the structural win rates are way better. And then, you know, I mean, there is also, that's something I do find that gets a little lost is there is a huge difference between best ball roster construction and manage league roster construction. Oh um, like I'm, I'm actually more likely to take Javante Williams, Travis ETN, Kareem hunt, guys like that in best ball, because you need uh, like some, like sometimes you just kind of need, you know, 13 fantasy points or whatever. Whereas in managed leagues, you're going to pick up your Boston Scots, your Quadriolisons, your, I mean, who like, there are, there are running back names we're going to be picking up this year. We can't even fathom right now. Mike Boone, Mike Boone is going to be like a 30% of your waiver wire guy at, uh, at some point. Like I just, you can just lock that in that you're going to be spending that on Mike Dearness Johnson or whatever, like that's happening.
1: Yeah, it'll be Olison. also will be that guy that's your No one will draft him in your home leagues, and <laughs> something will happen, and he'll be the the, the banger uh, for the Falcons. And then you'll, someone will be dumping fifty percent of their fab on him uh, for sure. Let me ask you on that question then too. Uh, so, what are you doing in now that we're shifting from best ball season? And we saw a month of best ball drafts though, but we're getting in redraft mode. What are you yeah. doing in one quarterback leagues with Lance and Fields?
0: Because typically, I'm a guy that like I'm not taking two. I'm quarterbacks not taking. I'm not taking Lance. I'm not taking Lance in one quarterback. I I think that Jimmy, if I had to set the line and Jimmy starts, I think it'd be like six or six and a half. And then Lance becomes a guy you have to cut. Now, also the way that I draft, I'm going to have a lot more guys to cut because I'm not going to have Randall Cobb on my team. I'm not right. going to have Russell Gage <laughs> on my team. I'm going to have running backs who I know that I can cut. Like, right? I'm going to be cutting Eno Benjamin. I'm going to be cutting Ramondre Stevenson. I'm going to be cutting Ty Johnson. I'm going to be cut. You know, all of these guys that are just very. It's very clear early on that they don't work out. I'm not going to have a ton of roster clogging wide receivers just because of the way I draft. But I, I think that Fields starts relatively early. I think I. I, I mean. The kind of the scenario I've been saying all this offseason is they're gonna come out against the Rams in week one, lose 47 to three, and <laughs> Andy Dalton is just gonna like there's it's just not gonna be a viable way. Like they're not gonna to wanna to start Andy Dalton. But Lance, I I just I and I know that Pat and Pete have done it on a couple of their main event teams, and they have paired him with like a more veteran style quarterback that they can start, which is fine but I, I, I just feel like Lance is, is going to be drafted and dropped in a lot of those high stakes leagues. Yeah. That's kind of,
1: or, or he ends up being a, like a roster clogger where you just, you don't, you just, you you say, oh, wow. I'm looking at the playoff schedule. If this guy does start, he's the archetype of guys that are going to be a QB one or in the mix weekly to be a QB one. And you end up not dropping him like a handcuff running back, like a Tony Pollard, he ends up being like a Tony Pollard, like roster player for you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I've been going back and forth because obviously I would be really excited when those guys do start, but I'm not taking two quarterbacks in my one quarterback league. I want to use that bench equity, especially early in the season, because our first buy isn't until week six this year. Uh You know, we're going to need to be churning some roster stuff over, uh, you know, with these waivers hot, you know, early in the season, I don't want to be stuck just holding a quarterback because of an upside when it's the position that provides the least amount of leverage uh, if you hit. So yeah, those guys are, are pretty interesting. I think in one quarterback leagues, I find myself just like, if I'm going to take one of those rookie quarterbacks, Lawrence would be the guy uh, I would just climb onto.
0: Oh, and Wilson too. Wilson's starting seventeen weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those guys are gonna play Week One. Now, granted, I'm probably gonna have one of those firewall quarterbacks early on. Like, oh, I can't stop taking Ryan Tannehill, dude. I've got a Ryan Tannehill problem. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely killing. I've I've actually told myself to like not times to just like I can't to just don't take Ryan Tannehill in this draft, but he's always the guy that's left because he goes like after Stafford, uh, he goes after Brady, but you get the rushing with Tannehill. He's been yep second and third in points per drop back the past years if Derrick Henry were to ever get hurt this offense would dynamically Uh, he would score so many points they add Julio Jones uh to this roster and we don't have to say like it's a value for Julio but it is a value for Tannehill because you know Tannehill is number one in EPA and intermediate throws Julio was number one wide receiver still even last year on intermediate throws uh we've got Arthur Wan we still haven't had the best season from Arthur Wan yet like I love him because I always love these players that we know are still ascending, but we haven't had the best fantasy season from. And I, I stock that stuff. I know there's nothing analytical about that, but like, to me, like that's like narrative stuff that I like uh, to to factor in. Like I'm looking at AJ Brown and I know that he's capable of having like this Torello and just a disgusting season. And we haven't had it yet. And, but he goes around players that have had some of those seasons and, you know, he's even dropped since the, uh
0: julio trade you know he's kind of going you, to you can get third. him with like the first pick of the third round sometimes
1: yeah i mean dude the McCaffrey teams have been so you have a little it's, one it's, un, it's
0: unbelievable it's like oh it's like oh great i can start uh i can take McCaffrey. you can uh, dk run, and aj I, brown yeah like. oh, it's, it's unreal <laughs> and then yeah you can just figure it out at running back too
1: you get you can get DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. Two guys that might that like if you were just to like set odds on player wide receivers to lead the NFL in touchdowns this season, those guys would probably be in the top five. Uh, yeah, and you're pairing them with the, the running back that probably is the best odds to score more than twenty. Uh, I mean, it's just insane that the teams that these and even we know stuff like all oh, won't play out as perfectly like this in the season. But from an objective like top down stance, like having McCaffrey and just the carte blanche to do whatever the hell you want with these wide receivers that hit the two, three turn uh, are absolutely insane. And then sometimes you even get like one of these running backs to slide through that. You might even be high on that. I believe it could be an alpha back like sometimes if Gibson is lower or Najee Harris or something like that. But I, every time I've had McCaffrey, I just like, there's just bananas wide receivers there at that two, three turn. And that's the way I go. Uh, That's the thing you brought up earlier about having the 11th pick It's interesting having the 11th pick this year or any, say say that back quadrant, like nine through 12. Um, What do you do? Do you go running back, running back? Because you can get two of those three down uh, uh, running backs that, that fit that profile. And granted, they might have a lower hit rate of both hitting. But if both do hit, you've got massive positional leverage on a weekly basis or you go wide receiver, wide receiver, and you swerve into it. I think splitting the baby at those picks is a lot tougher because everyone that's going to go anchor running back or modified is going to just have such an advantage on you in the early rounds. Uh, people that take McCaffrey, people that take Dalvin Cook, like their their modified anchor approach is going to be better than yours if you do that at the back. Uh, so I've kind of tried to play some like, uh, you know, Top down, you know, game theory that way of just either going wide receiver, wide receiver, or running back, running back, because splitting the baby at those spots isn't going to be as good as the people splitting the baby at the top three spots of the draft.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I probably do split it quite a bit. Like a start, I start I really like is Steph Diggs, Antonio Gibson, which you can do, no sweat, or you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Clyde Edwards or whatever. I'm super bullish on CEH relative to the market. He's like in the second? Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, baby. so what is, what has been the problem with chiefs running backs in the Mahomes era? It's been every, every year of the Mahomes era, they have brought in a veteran, right? So you go back and look at 2018 and look at the running backs. Um, that was the year that Kareem that was the year that Kareem hunt got hurt before uh got, got cut. But before Kareem hunt got cut in 11 games he had 1,200 scrimmage yards and 14 touchdowns. And then you had the, uh, the Spencer Ware show after that. <clears throat> then the next season, you had Damian Williams, who got hurt and they brought in McCoy, right? So dusty veteran there, where uh, Damian was okay that season um, and was amazing in the playoffs when they, they stopped closed playing. The closed yeah. the season, awesome. And, but they, they were playing McCoy. Then what happened last year? ch started out good not great he started out good then he got banged up then he ran really bad on touchdowns what he had like 26 touches inside the 10 or something like that but only scored five touchdowns and they give Le'Veon bell 76 regular season touches and they play daryl a little bit they didn't play daryl a lot but they played daryl a little bit well this year the dusty vet is mckinnon and i just don't i don't see mckinnon i don't see (laughs) mckinnon making the team right because mckinnon i mean the the it's i bring this up like every show but he literally had dead legs like the san francisco beat writers were saying this guy had dead legs he played 65 percent, and then like 85 percent of the snaps in week three and week four and we had him in the main event thing we picked we, him up. and we were starting him but then that was it after that point that was it you, he he was useless after that because he just he just couldn't move anymore and if you think about, okay, we took a running back in the first round, we're bringing in this dusty old vet again. Well, like McKinnon would kind of be like a third down back. That would be what, if he was even healthy enough to do it. But CH is a more natural fit for that role. Le'Veon Bell and LaShawn McCoy were like more classic, you know, your Adrian Peterson veteran signing where they're playing early downs. They're getting some red zone touches and things like that. So I, I actually think, and and this is a, a take that people hate. People hate these takes on Ch, but I don't even think he has to be good to have like the RB three season. I think he could catch, and that we're already getting these reports from camp that you know they're throwing him swing passes. They don't really have a third wide receiver to throw to. I mean Hardman, that Hardman could be better than we think and still get like eighty touches because he's not a super high volume style player. Then you're talking about your. Demarcus Robinson's Cornell Powell's Noah Gray's like none of these guys are going to be huge volume commanders either Tyreek is not a prototypical wide receiver one where you're going to be peppering him with targets yeah, in the end zone yeah. <laughs> yeah that that would be Kelsey right that would be Kelsey and if Kelsey has like you know 14 touchdowns or whatever that's going to impact CH but if the offensive line is better which it should be right they they get Duvant and they get Duvernay Tardif back they get um yeah, they and trade Andrew the first Lincoln round Brown. pick for Orlando Brown, Joe Thune. Yeah, like you, like I mean, you see it, right? You see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. His his apex outcomes is contending for RB one, actually. I mean, if it all, I together. and people
0: hate when I say that, but I truly believe it. But it is, I believe it's true as well. Uh,
1: the you know, it's the, the two areas that have to come together for CH to get here are one the receptions. So since Patrick Mahomes has been there, uh, he's targeted running backs, 18.4% of his passes league rate's been 20%. He's been below. This was one of the things that like, w- like people went crazy when CHS drafted, like he's going to catch 80 passes is, but the chiefs have basically been mid middle of the pack ever since, uh, you know, the past five years of just targeting the running backs. Mahomes is the guy that's always going to, he's going to push the football and he's also mobile too. And can, can, eliminate some of them checkdowns because he's going to get out of the pocket too and do some things himself uh since Andy Reid has been in Kansas City just two running backs have hit 50 catches in a season just two have averaged over four receptions per game uh so those are things like we need that to go up and then obviously the touchdown thing is is weird because he did run cold but then there also was there's a couple of things in play here. One is there's like a coaching staff bias. And we see this not just with the Chiefs, but with a number of players in the NFL. We saw the Austin Eckler last year when he's getting pulled at the goal line for Kalen Balage. Yep. Uh, coaches see a small back and they see a small back get stoned, whether it's his fault or not. And a lot of those carries, you know, he, you know, when Edwards Slayer was two of ten he was two of ten inside the five-yard line last year, but you know, they pin that not on the offensive line. They pin that like, oh we're not we're banging this 205 pound kid in there uh you know we need to put a bigger body in there which really isn't true it's that's all scheme and stuff it's you know but so the chiefs made like a cognitive effort though to like they called plays inside the 10 completely different the rest of the season after the first yeah. three weeks of the season yeah they, they did through the after that point they threw the ball 55 percent of the time inside of the five yard line is the fourth highest rate in the league they started using motion and jet motion yeah all the they time. started
0: doing all of that crazy stuff which worked
1: time. which worked
0: for them right
1: yeah, and so for the remainder of the season, Clyde Edwards had six of 22 team opportunities inside the five-yard line. He had he still had the most carries and most opportunities among running backs, but they just said, we're going to do other stuff here because it's not work. We want to score touchdowns. that Us running the ball isn't doing it. Now, the offensive line being better could help him. It could just, you know, like Zeke's situation. Uh, it just needs to be that... The coaching staff needs to believe in him now to get those opportunities again. Well, and he and did get one you, in the playoffs, and, and he converted it.
0: You want to hear uh, a gal brain? Lay it on me. I'm all
1: for the gal
0: brain. Mahomes got takes. Mahomes got concussed, dude. He took a he took a sick shot near the goal line in that Browns game. Are they going to want him scrambling and rolling around and reaching for the pylon in the in the red zone this year? Which is something that was actually weirdly enough that was actually not part of his game. Um, his first couple years of his career in in uh, in 2018 and and not really in 2019 until the playoffs either. Um, yeah, yeah, he only had 43 rushing attempts, two rushing touchdowns in. 2019 they they, and then then in the playoffs and in 2020 he started scrambling and moving around a little bit more and then Mm -hmm. you know he takes that shot in the Browns game my my thinking would be is that that the the pylon reaching stuff they're gonna be like please don't do that we're paying you half a billion dollars please no more of that like I which is that I mean that is a real gal brain like that is truly extended galaxy brain thinking to confirm my priors which is that ch has the ceiling but i just think that everything that was true about the logic that pushed ch to what he he's sixth overall i think is where he ended up in high stakes adp last year yeah everything that was true last season is true now and the offensive line is better and Sammy Watkins is not on the team, which you you can say all you want about that, but their receiving depth is thin. I mean, their their receiving depth is thin. It would behoove them to be a little bit more aggressive or a little bit more more aggressive running the ball, a little bit more conservative, especially in like non highly competitive games.
1: Me and uh, Dan Pazuzu have talked about this a lot. It's the Chiefs are going to be really interesting to see how teams try to defend them this season. So last year teams were just like hell bent on not giving up the deep ball. They faced the most two eye safety looks in the NFL. And, you know, they, and they just, and then Andy Reid. not only did they just say, well, we'll we'll murder you with Kelsey in the middle field, they got religion and started moving Tyreek all over the field and his a dot the back half of the season, just it came all the way in. And Tyreek was just killing people after the catch. Um, I wonder if teams are going to say, you know what, we'll live with giving up. Uh, We're going to have to live with giving up the deep ball this year because, we look at this Chiefs roster outside of those two players and
0: then that, that's where the- that's where Hardman comes in that's where <laughs> right. Hardman that's where Hardman deb- he has to dem- make a job he's got to be good and if Hardman is not good and they're really like you know if Demarcus Robinson earns 80 targets or whatever like it's going to be a problem for them especially against good teams like it is going to be it is going to be a problem because Look, like you can, you can say anything that you want about Sammy Watkins, but he was a legitimately useful player for them. Even when he was not great for fantasy, oh, yeah. like he, he was really useful for them and he's gone.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they replace that. I think it's going to be really interesting how teams try to defend them. I think there will be a, a, a shift this year. Cause also I think when we bring up the offensive line stuff, like if you just go too high, there's going to be a lot more games like they did earlier in the season against Buffalo and the home opener against Houston, where they'll just say, well, we will run down your throat. Uh, I think they lost the ability to do that as the season wore on with the offensive line injuries and the injuries, to CEH, and then having Le'Veon I think that they will lean into that a lot more. If teams want to come out with that approach again, that they will play a little more bully ball, um, but, yeah, I mean, those the, the, the coaching staff hurdle thing is interesting. We, I brought it up, I think, I was on with you a couple months ago, and we talked about the importance of, like, Eckler. Like, if Eckler gets those carries, where can his ceiling go? And, you know, you look at it over the past five seasons, there's been 25 individual seasons where a back said 15 or more carries inside the five-yard line, just two of those seasons – were a back that was sub-200 pounds, Christian McCaffrey and Devontae Freeman. Uh, and then over that same time frame, there's been 30 seasons in which a back has had 10 or more rushing touchdowns on the season, uh, and 17 of those uh, came from backs 220 pounds or heavier, just three coming below guys that were 210 pounds. Again, McCaffrey's like the one exception that kind of bucks this trend. We need more people to get religion and start using, say, hey, look at It's fine. If Look at Christian McCaffrey. But you see guys – tried and true come off the field uh, that are this archetype of back that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is uh, repeatedly uh, for these a- a- average players at best. Like you're talking about like, look at the guys Austin Eckler is coming off the field for near the goal line last year, Joshua Kelly and Kalen Bellage. Like uh, what, these aren't yeah. good players. I don't want Caleb Blas on my field at all. If I'm a coach, right. Right? I don't want him on the, on the field, but these coaches get into these, um, these, these modes where they, they, they fall in love with these archetypes. They, we're going to see it again. We'll, well, Malcolm Brown is getting goal line carries of the dolphins and your, your Miles Gaskin pick is looking like, oh, that's looking real good now. Uh, the Jets situation is another interesting one. I'm, I like, I'm pretty intrigued by Michael Carter, but he's another one of those guys. Do they use, you know, Tevin Coleman in the goal line? Do Ty Johnson Josh on Adams? third downs,
0: Josh you Adams. Know,
1: yeah. T- yeah. Like do they use those guys when they get inside the five and then you're getting like this production where, yeah, this guy's getting 16 touches per game and I'm getting this PPR floor, but I have no chance to run to a 30 point week, like with this player in my lineup. And then again, we that circles back to the conversation we had, like running into average running back production is literally the worst thing you can have in your weekly lineup. Um, because it doesn't arbitrage enough of the ceiling performances at running back uh, and doesn't win you enough weeks. So it's, yeah, I mean, the, the, this stuff with the coaching stuff is always intrigues me. I love going in the weeds of this stuff because it's stuff we don't know, but it's fun conversation pieces because you can arbitrage some of these guys if they don't get it. Cause if like Austin Eckler doesn't run into these goal line carries and he's going in the, now he's going in the, in the first round, actually. Yeah. I we gotta, gotta be one, taking, we gotta be taking round tree and Kelly. Yeah, so you take those guys in your best ball leagues, but then also if he doesn't get those carries, he becomes completely arbitrageable with all those guys that we reeled off, a Chase Edmonds, a Miles Gaskin, a Michael Carter. They can now give you a proxy of what Austin Eckler first round drafters gave you. Uh, So, I mean, it's kind of a, it's why it's always tough, man. I, I see the path for Austin Eckler to be actually in contention for the RB1, but like, why not, like you kind of alluded to, if you like Austin Eckler, why not just wait a round and a half and take CH? Uh, it's, it's, it's the same really thing. Tricky, it's literally it's really C-
0: CH and Eckler are actually very similar propositions, but like the chiefs might, I mean, I don't know, like there, there is going to be some regression with the chiefs and we actually already saw it last year. Like they struggled. They, what they, we did that against the spread show and they, they didn't cover for eight weeks in a row. Right. Like they're, they, they, they it was a little bit more of a struggle for the chiefs on offense last year. And I think the offensive line was, you know, a big part of that and all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. I I mean, you could maybe even argue that them regressing on offense is, is maybe even actually a little bit better for CH because that means less like 55 yard Tyreek touchdowns and like more sustained drive-through. They kind of have to fight for it.
1: Yeah. If he get, if he were to get those carries, I mean the chiefs are a team when you look at their offensive touchdown splits, I mean, 75% of their offensive touchdowns last year came via the pass. Uh, You know, over the past 10 years, there's been 67 teams that had 75% or more of their offensive touchdowns come via the air. 61, 91% of that had a decline the following season in leaning on passing touchdown rate. Uh, with those teams having an average increase of 5.1 rushing touchdowns per season. So there is a clear path where just natural regression and oscillation is going to have the Chiefs have more rushing touchdowns this season as well uh, if he were to run into those carries. But yeah, I, I love having a conversation with these like, archetypes of players is my jam. Like I love talking about that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I, <laughs> I very much hope that uh, one of Gibson or CH has this like disgusting, amazing season that we're imagining, because if not my, my best ball stuff is going to be in trouble. Cause I have done. So uh, my, my most common construction is two very early running backs, like two running backs in the first two rounds, nothing but wide receivers, quarterbacks and tight ends for like the next 11 rounds Then two cheaper right. running backs, right? AJ Dillon, Tony Pollard. I I uh actually funnily enough, because I'm so I'm all this bullish on CH, but I actually take Daryl Williams all the time. Cause t- cause to me, Daryl Williams is clearly the second running back there and will have, I think, a little bit of, or is at least more likely than McKinnon to have like actual standalone value.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if CH were to go down, I think you'd see more of a you know, that role gets split between two players, right? Like you, yeah. you'd see McKinnon basically play on passing downs, maybe not even on passing downs, just long down in distances. Um, because that's the other thing with CEH though, too, is does he make that jump? Like we have the conversation with Gibson. We can have it with Javante Williams too. Uh, because Melvin Gordon was uh, the primary pass protector in Denver. It is the one other area these coaches also do not put these guys in is in these long down distance their passing situations. It happened in week from week one with CH last year. Darrell Williams was playing third every third down. Remember, every third Twitter down was tilting. And it happened with Gibson and you know, uh McKinnon. Uh, I said, like I said, we have a similar uh, both this year with I think Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon I fully believe Melvin Gordon will play on passing downs early in the season because these coaches don't put these young backs in position to have to pass pro they don't trust them uh, and CH honestly was he was objectively a bad pass protector in college anyways uh, my argument always against that is that in those situations those guys are running pass routes and not really blocking so coaches get in their own way uh, but you know vis-a-vis it happens though uh uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see it that'll happen to be interesting too with etienne like if he's a guy that doesn't get as much like long down distance work as as projected because uh, that would really that would
0: really mess with his projection if that happened that would be it would be very bad for him
1: i know we've run long playing uh, there i know we've run longer than we usually go but uh i like picking your brain and having these conversations what are you doing with uh uh daryl henderson now
0: I say all over him, all over him. I want, I even, even in the tournaments where teams already have him in the 12th round or whatever, right? Like, uh, like the a, a underdog or whatever.
1: Yeah. and It's a fallacy to say, like, you can't take him because the other teams with their owners will be better. That's not true. We did this with CH last year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so this is how I feel about Henderson. This is true. Look it up if you don't believe me. Henderson had more yards, touchdowns, and receptions than Cam Akers did last year, right? Yep. Which, which you would you would think looking at their ADPs it couldn't possibly be true. It's true. The other thing is Akers was having to compete with Daryl Henderson, right? Like he was going to, Daryl Henderson was going to play some. I don't know how much he would have played, but he was going to, he was not, it was not going to be yeah. a, a Todd Gurley 90% of the snap situation. Now Henderson doesn't have to compete with Akers. Henderson doesn't even have to compete with Le'Veon Bell or LaShawn McCoy or Melvin Gordon or Malcolm or Brown or Malcolm Brown, right? He didn't have to compete with any of that stuff. Their depth chart features zero NFL touches. Xavier Jones, no NFL touches. Raymond Calais, no NFL touches. We don't even know if you know Jake Funk or whatever is going to meet the team. Now maybe they add uh, Rashad Penny, uh, DJ, like just whoever. Maybe they add Michelle. Sony some Michelle. Maybe. Sony they add somebody, but everything that's been reported, right? McVeigh said, we're not signing a veteran. Paul Schrager reported immediately after the injury, they're not interested in adding anybody. They've had what, 10 days now to trade a conditional seventh round pick or something for someone to send, you know, a third round pick for Melvin Gordon. Like they they've had opportunity to do all of this. They haven't done it. I am super bullish on Henderson because I think that, and Ben Gretsch has made this point before on chip chasing and it's so smart, but the late offseason risers actually don't rise enough. And the example Gretsch always gives is when it became clear that Arian Foster was going to be a lead running back for that uh, zone blocking Houston Texans team. He mm-hmm. ended up, I think going like on average in like the fourth round that year. And he was the number one overall running back. And I don't know if Henderson can be the number one overall running back, but I definitely think he can be a top five running back. I I think he's that good. I think the offense is going to be really good. And if they don't sign anyone, I don't see Xavier Jones, you know, forcing a 50, 50 timeshare with him. So I'm super bullish on Henderson.
1: Yeah, same. I saw, you know, a lot of people, cause you know, kind of you know it's retread obviously anytime you see this in fantasy there's going to be the opposite stance you're gonna get both it's excitement hey you know daryl henderson is is now elevating this role and other people saying well they'll sign someone or you know he'll share some work but i mean i look at you know daryl henderson and i liked him a lot at, uh, coming out of college as Dang. a big play asset uh he got better in year two uh, 5.1 yards per touch in year two. Um, I know it's completely arbitrary, but in the five games, he just had 12 or more touches. He averaged 96 yards per game, 15.9 PPR points per game. You hit on the offense. They were uh, seven touchdowns below yardage expectation. I just believe, I just believe in this offense. I believe it's going to be a good offense. And when I believe the offense is going to be good, what's the natural inclination? We want running backs on good offenses, right? Like, yep. I mean, it's pretty natural. So I think you look at this player that I believe was a good prospect. Uh, He has big playability. He's in a good offense. uh, And, you know, he has three down capability. Like, I'm just, I don't want to talk myself out of that. And where he goes in ADP now around guys, like, like you have to like him more than like a DeAndre Swift, right? Like, uh, I mean, he doesn't even,
0: he doesn't even go there. Like, in my experience, he's kind of settled in the Miles Gaskin, Kareem Hunt range. And it's like, not even close to me. Like, I like him straight up better than Swift, but he doesn't, you're not even, you don't even have to take him there a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 guy I have the most trouble, but when I when I'm doing like where to where to go in on him is like basically it's between him and David Montgomery, or where like I get like kind of caught up on like that's like it. Yeah, but like I'm the same. And it's way. not even
0: close to me for me. I have
1: him, but the same thing over Swift over my like I would rather have Daryl Henderson than Miles Sanders, uh, you know. So I mean, yeah, I mean it's Josh Jacobs, those guys, and he goes after these guys, right? Like he's going in like the fifth round in FFPC in these drafts. Uh, I think that there's a lot of room, like you said, for like, there wasn't enough correction.
0: Yeah. Like I I think if we just wiped our brains clean and started doing ADP I mean, he's basically
1: Chris Carson, right?
0: But with a team, but with a team that's going to throw to their running back a little bit more.
1: But is it like when you look like from like a a stance of like how usage is going to be and like, you know, how we feel about that, everything, they're in the same division. So they basically have similar schedules. Uh, like he's very similar in terms of what we're going to see from a usage stance from Chris
0: Carson or like, am I way off on that? No, no. I mean, like I, I, I think there's a bull case that he should be drafted ahead of those guys. I think that you could make a convincing argument that he's in the Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, CH range. No one, no one wants to make that argument, but like, for example, dynasty teams that have Henderson banked this year, I think that that's going to be like a huge year for them. If, if, like those teams are just going to crush.
1: Yeah, and I I get the you know he's now going to be drafted in the RB dead zone, which may not even be as dead because if it's just self if it's corrected to where it's supposed to be, it's not technically the dead zone anymore. Uh, So if we get that to hold steady, that's not as daunting of a task. They have the they have a number two our number two projected run schedule as well at Sharp Football. Uh, so that's another thing. Like I just look at too, and I'm like, Ooh, that looks pretty, that looks pretty tasty. Uh, and like I said, you just believe there's too many objective things that I think are pros. Like you said, you believe in the player, the prospect, you believe in the offense, you believe in the quarterback. Um, you, then you've got these ancillary things like the schedule and stuff, but then then you have the depth chart. I mean, it's yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much, uh, with you. I think that there hasn't been enough correction on him. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's, uh, (laughs) let's get out of here. Sharp football. Give it, uh, we got, we got the podcast with Dan Pizzuta. Tell people all the free stuff they can click on over there right now.
1: Yeah. All my offseason stuff that I've done to date is free, except for my rankings, just for the season with mine for subs this last month. And I'll be doing more subscription based stuff over the next month, but I've got over 70 plus free articles for you to read and a lot of game theory stuff too. Cause you know, I like to get in the weeds on a lot of that stuff too. Like when to take RB twos other after I was on the show with you, I wrote that article on the cheap wide receiver ones. When we had the conversation, I put yep. that article out on like, you know, and found some nice uh, uncovered, uh, some good nuggets in that too. Like, you know, when you're presented the points, of the drafts, like you take a team wide receiver one versus a team wide receiver two or three and uh, laid out a lot of that stuff. Uh, that's been a popular article this off season, but I did a lot of, I do a lot of work like that. It's not just, Hey, here's an article on Jalen hurts. Uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah there we go all right
0: uh yeah let's do this again let's try and do this again next week or the week after because this is this is good it's good for me you're you're good at bubble popping you're good it's because it's you're you're not in you're not in the vacuum you're not in the content wheel of like you know we all consume the same stuff and everything. Yeah, in mean, the pocket so really... of it
1: all man listen like you said uh, i try to be as pragmatic as possible and i'm open to a lot of things uh in these drafts yeah
0: all right <laughs> rich everyone follow him on twitter at lord reeves read all of his stuff over at sharp football analysis and uh we will we will be back next week
1: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every
0: time